Welcome to the Air Combat Simulation Podcast, brought to you by BVR Productions. Together with content creators, mission builders, experts, and enthusiasts, we explore the comprehensive world of combat aircraft simulation. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Air Combat Sim Podcast. Today, uh, we're, we're being hosted by me, Sport, and uh, our good friend, Tricker. Say hi, Tricker. Hello. Hi, everybody. And today, we're going to be talking to the guys from Magnitude 3 Simulations and really going in-depth with the uh, into their next upcoming module, the Corsair. Uh, today, we're joined by Hiramachi. Uh, he's from Poland and has a quite extensive uh, previous sim history, including IL-2, Cliffs of Dover, Battle Stalin Stalingrad, a uh, huge DCS fan. And uh, he's the research manager for Magnitude 3 Simulations. Also joining us is Rudel. Uh, he is a U.S. Marine Corps veteran and the lead artist for Magnitude 3. Uh, he is a self-taught 2D and 3D artist and have been doing flight simulation art for about 25 years. So uh, we're really excited to have these two guys. So, gentlemen, say hello. Hello, everybody. Hello. Well, we're really excited to have you guys and um, talk about the, the your upcoming Corsair module. So uh, who wants to lead off on, you know, why you picked the Corsair and sort of where you guys are in the process? That's definitely an interesting question. It, it's had a long history with us, obviously, for about 10 years almost. And it started out when we were still... Leatherneck simulations before Cobra left to start Heepler simulate or and we were, we had plans to start a Pacific theater of operations, and the Corsair was one of the aircraft we were going to do. So you guys chose it and uh, started working on it, and you picked the F4U1D, correct? That is correct. Okay, so you guys showcased it on the vir virtual air shows about two years ago, um, and then you kind of previewed the carrier about a year ago and whatnot. How far along do you guys think you are? Well, it's, that has been a while, hasn't it? About two years? So during those two years, I've, as the art, lead artist, I've decided to pretty much redo the whole cockpit and external model because it really wasn't up to standards for what was available to do. It took a year to do the cockpit, and we're just finishing up the external model now with the damage modeling. So we're, we're pretty darn close. We're pretty darn close to releasing. So let's back up here a little bit, uh, Rudell. So what, you started 25 years ago. What was the first like simulation? Let's, let's start with that. Give us some of your background a little bit. Man, oh man. I, I was working, not working with, but, but I, I was doing, basically I was a modder. So I would, I would mod Jane's F-15 back in the day and then I moved on to Jane's F Jane's F eighteen where I joined Team Super Hornet. And we were making the, the patches for those, doing three D and texturing for that. And at the same time I was doing IL two textures. Uh, there was a, a there was a forum that we joined and we, we were doing three D models and textures for that. Okay. So did you know Matt Wagner for Jane's F eighteen? Not personally, but I knew of him. He in the early days there was a Google there was a Google groups that you could do. Uh, it was a message board style, and once in a while he would show up and answer questions for the users. So guide us through a little bit here, um, especially myself. So I knew you guys were Leatherneck Simulations. So what exactly happened, and what are you now? We, when the uh, other guys in our team decided to study uh, their new company, so they can continue their progress with the F-14 and the Vegan. Uh, we decided to use Leatherneck Simulations as a brand name. Three of us, before Hiromachi joined, we started Magnitude 3 as the company name and used Leatherneck as the brand name. Eventually, we decided we'll just drop the brand name and just stay with Magnitude 3 because uh, reading the message boards and the emails, there's, there seems to be a lot of confusion and we wanted to clear that up. Okay, and so you do all the 3D modeling and artwork, I'm assuming, for Magnitude now? I do a lot of it, but I also guide other artists that are on our team. Okay, and then uh, Hiromachi, 
so what, what is your uh, your role with magnitude well my role started mainly as a pr guy uh i started looking into the facebook the twitter back then we when we had in the forums but eventually it started growing larger uh, let's put it that way that for the previous seven to ten years i've been extensively researching the japanese aircraft so it only came natural when i saw the corsair developing for the dcs that i would like to join the team that was developing it and provide some information uh, with the passing time i actually have developed a significant interest in the soviet aircraft and started collecting the documents. So you can say that I have basically changed myself merely from a person looking into the PR into a person also responsible for researching, for providing the materials for the development. Um, that would start with the pictures, with the documents. As you may imagine, Poland being a former Warsaw Pact member had a pretty significant, uh, you can say, library uh, for, for the documents, for the things like the MiG-21. Yeah, yeah, and um, so you guys are still doing all the MiG twenty stuff, MiG twenty one stuff, correct? You're still you got you guys are still all patching MiG twenty one and working with the artwork is what I was getting at. Oh, of course, definitely. So, I mean, I never really thought about that about the amount of research that goes into um, developing modules and and you know making sure that you're creating an accurate simulation. Um, so you, I mean, like you said, you must have a pretty extensive collection of various documents. Um, what sort of things are you researching when it comes to either developing a new module or even um, updating the modules that you guys already have, uh, you know, released? And that's for you here, Machi. Well, for, it depends for whom am I researching. For the uh, Rudel, when he has to make a model, it starts with the pictures. Uh, I mean, today's technology allows us to get much deeper into the into the uh, materials. So, for example, for the Corsair, we went as far as to find the technical drawings that would be used for the manufacturing, in the manufacturing plants for the creation of real thing. Basically, you would adjust the, uh, the, the factory based on those drawings and you could manufacture the aircraft. Uh, with the MiG-21, it's not so easy since the aircraft would be manufactured in the uh, Soviet Union. Uh, however, you can uh, go around it by taking a fair number of pictures and turning it into a model using uh, photogrammetry. Or you can use other technologies like uh, laser scanning. So that's, uh, But of course, everything has to be supplemented with the pictures. After all, you need to also get the color and the accuracy of the things that not always get uh, that not always can be recreated with the photogrammetry uh, when it comes to the programming then you need the technical documentation uh, there are usually the manuals covering basically basic systems like the airframe engine avionics uh, the hydraulics the pneumatics and uh, electrics whatever you name and there are often documents that cover the specific items uh, that are described in, in greater depth. So that, that usually consists of hours of finding the documents and scanning them. Uh, I can honestly say that I've spent probably a good few hundred hours in the library just scanning the documents. Wow, that's, that's I mean, that's super impressive. And um, obviously the it's noted in the work you guys have done. Um, so you have the two of you, obviously, and how many other people are on your team uh, working on various projects? Well, other than the two programmers, myself and Hiromachi, we we hire, we hire art teams to help us, uh, such as they've worked on the carrier for the for the F4U project. Uh, they worked on the Japanese ground assets for us. Uh, we have an artist that works on our pilots. So we've got a fair amount of artists, and we're about to we're about to have another artists or two to, to help work on other projects that we're coming out with. Excellent. So um, you guys definitely have it covered in the art department there. Uh, Programming-wise, uh, who are the guys working with the uh, the various programming aspects? For programming, we, we have our excellent uh, flight modeler, uh, Novak. He's a, he's a Serbian uh, avi uh, aviator. He's a pilot himself in the military. And we have other one. Uh, he goes by the name of Roland. He's a he works in the automotive industry as well as, uh, a, I guess you could say, mobile gaming. 
Excellent. Okay. So, so for this, you know, this is not anybody's full-time job then. You guys are all sort of part-timers and have come together to, um, you know, form this, this development group to make modules for DCS. Well, exactly. That's what you can say. We've basically decided to turn something that's been a passion for all of us, which is the aviation, uh, and create something that can bring joy to other people. Okay. Well, I mean, that makes a heck of a, heck of a lot of sense there. And you guys have obviously taken that passion and, and put it into modules you are passionate about. Um, so far, you know, you guys had a absolute grand slam with the uh, MiG-21, which remains, I know, one of my favorites and the favorites of many of my friends. Um, and you have the CE-2 out as well, which, um, how did that come about originally? Oh, man, that's a good one. I know Novak... He's he, he loves aerobatics as a pilot, so he wanted we wanted to do he wanted to do a aerobatic aircraft, and we chose the Christian Eagle. Uh, but we also used the the Christian Eagle as a stepping stone to create the F4U flight modeling. That was that was my understanding too that it was originally a more of a technology demonstrator for you, correct? That is correct. That's pretty interesting. What would you say, let's talk about the F4 now, so let's, let's talk about what would you say is so far from your guys' experience is the hardest thing working on the F4, and also do you have like an SME, like a subject matter expert working for you for the F4? Well, we definitely can say that the hardest things were the pipes in the cockpit, all the, uh, I'm sure Rudel loves to speak about it, uh, all the pipes, wires, and cables that you can see in the cockpit, uh, that you will be able to see uh, in the cockpit that's uh, all uncovered and visible, so that's a huge problem from any artistic uh, situation. Yeah, it was definitely a pain in the butt. Uh, using pictures and schematics and cross-referencing, <laughs> there was just, it was so much, it was so much to do. And obviously, you know, you get in any of these old World War II airplanes and no two of them are identical to each other. You know, every, it's almost like every single one that came off the, the, the production floor had a slightly di different configuration. And of course, now, you know, 75, 80 years later, uh, they've been modified and things moved around. How did you like settle on um, the details and, uh, you know, the configuration of the aircraft that you wanted to model? I, I really went off the schematics and the modification records to to ensure there was, you know, a, good, a pretty good accuracy for the late for the late forty four and early forty five variants. And off you know off the recording, you mentioned that you had a actual serial number that you were kind of basing some of your um, artistic decisions on. So the airframe reference that we used was actually built by Goodyear. And it's only the cockpit section, and it can be lo it's located at the MAPS Air Museum in Canton, Ohio. A gentleman by the name of Tom Thiessen took a ton of pictures for us, and I was able to use those pictures uh, to help create the textures that you'll see in the cockpit, such as some of the labels, uh, the placards, and also help develop the 3D for the cockpit itself. What's interesting about the airframe that they have, though, is... Everything that's in the cockpit makes it look like an early 1944 variant. However, it was actually built in January 1945, which made it kind of difficult when I was cross-referencing between the, the schematics and the aircraft itself. It was really confusing. So Hiramachi, um, with the documentation that you've had to find for researching the Corsair and everything, what what kind of narrowed your focus into the model that you guys are actually uh, trying to replicate? Well, the necessity to find, uh, like the Corsair does not have any extensive avionics. You won't find uh, in it um, anything that you would could even compare, let's say, to the F-18. So you spend a lot more time on the documents which matter from the flight model perspective. Um, something that, well, this is pretty simple geared aircraft with the uh, cables, uh, so, uh, things that are mostly hateful would, would be the, uh, documents from the NACA. Uh, in the 1930s, this has been a, this was a leading, uh, institution, uh, in the aerodynamics research. And what they have is a truly incre incredible collection of the documents, 
and this is now available on the NASA website by the way so anyone can download those documents at least most of them some of them are available in the libraries and you can find a pretty significant collection of the documents which uh, cover how the airframe was created how it changed during the development how they went how they arrived basically at this gullwing uh, position how they built the, those massive radiator things uh, that you can see at the wing roots and how uh, how the aircraft design was changing throughout the development. Uh, you can, if you remember, the early X4 you had the canopy position slightly uh, more forward, and as they were changing the design, it had to go all the way backward, which has extended the nose. The, the Corsair will be probably the aircraft with the longest uh, view from the cockpit all the way to the nose, which will affect somehow or obstruct your ability to take the deflection shots. You just have to consider all those feet. Uh, that you're looking at of the flat area. This also caused some problems in the development. They had to raise the canopy and uh, raise the seat. Uh, so those things that you you can understand where this aircraft came from all the way where it uh, arrived in the 1944 and how those changes that are important for the flight model were taking place from the engineering perspective and from the people who were well, taking at the time the cutting-edge technology. So all these documents are on the NASA website, you said? Yes, exactly. How did you come across those? Oh, it's... Or like, how did you find out about that? It's been about 10 years ago when a friend of mine uh, on their product uh, has introduced me to this when he was working on the P-51's flight model. And he has shown me what can be found there. Uh, and ever since, I've been interested or intrigued. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and then, Rudel, how did you find the schematics like how does one go about finding schematics is it just a google search or do you gotta go somewhere to gotta know somebody actually hiromachi found it so if i need some documents i just go to hiromachi okay pretty much <laughs> he's, he's your scrounger isn't for it? as long as it's legal documents on my hoover vacuum cleaner well give me give me a couple <laughs> hours uh unrestricted uh access to the account so i can run the ebay and you'll have your documents awesome so yeah, over the years you guys obviously researching all these modules what sort of lessons have you learned uh hiramachi in in your research like what what lessons have you taken forward to get the relevant information that you need to, to work on a module like the course? Well, you can be surprised by the amount of things that you can find, uh, find uh, available in the internet. Like, I had a struggle at various institutions, specifically the U.S. Navy ones, uh, when it comes to accessing the documents for the aircraft. And we're speaking about the aircraft long, long uh, out of service. Uh, and simultaneously, you could find the uh, manuals, uh, like real paper manuals, not not the photocopies or anything, available on eBay, let's say, or, or some other websites. And uh, it's just surprising how many things can be found still in people's hands. Yeah, I was uh, picturing one of you guys going to, like, the museum or something and asking for schematics and then taking pictures, I guess. That's what I was thinking about. Well, that's actually also a thing. Uh, I've uh, I've been a few months ago in Germany in Cottbus, that's uh, about fifty to seventy kilometers from southeast from the Berlin. They have a wonderful collection of the uh, formerly operated by the Germany, the East Germany uh, aircraft, and this collection is uh, in very good condition. So. Whenever you're at, they also have some library, let's say, collection of the documents. Uh, so I could cover at the same time some documents and mainly look into the aircraft, take the pictures of the uh, MiG 21, which we have displayed in our newsletter in June. Those pictures were exactly taken in the Cottbus. Well, that's pretty cool. What is your opinion on working on an Imperial aircraft instead of a metric system aircraft? Love it. Does it actually make it easier for you as a as a artist, especially a U.S. based art artist? Actually, but I don't mind both really. Uh, I work in I work in the metric system, but it's it's after doing it for so long, you just you just kind of memorize the conversion numbers in your head, and it's just just model from there. You can you can model it in the imperial system and then convert resize the model later when you finish into the metric system. Yeah, I usually just ask Siri. 
So let's talk a little bit about the, 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 the Corsair that you guys are developing, the variant that you're, you're putting out there. Uh, is this the only variant that you're going to be working on, or are we going to get any others uh, down the road, or maybe even some post-World War II variants? At the very moment, uh, we're just going to be releasing the 1D, but I have aspirations to create the Dash 4 or even maybe a Dash 5. And those are that's those came with the 20mm cannons as opposed to the 50s, correct? Uh, Dash 4 came with two variants as well. There was a Dash 4B that had the cannons. Uh, the 5 had the cannons for sure. Can we talk Can we talk about the sounds? I was going to get into the sounds. Everybody knows I love sounds. So did you guys go out and like record some sounds or did you... How does, how does that process? There is a, a company, in, I believe it was Sweden, that uh, actually recorded professional sounds for the Corsair. But it was from a, a 1A variant, but they're still usable. And we're using some of those sounds and we, we're looking to, uh, how do you say, modify the sounds to sound better in the game than what you hear in the recordings. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I love sounds, so... It always makes you feel like really, you know, immersed if you got the right sounds. There's nothing like hearing an R2800. It's, it's, it's a beast. It really is. That is a, it's a, such a cool engine and iconic, you know, nonetheless, especially in that configuration in the Corsair. And that's attached to that massive prop. And uh, offline, Hiramachi, we were talking about, like, in your research, you found uh, that the Corsair, through its development, had different propellers and you even had to research like how that came about correct well not necessarily how it came about uh, i was looking specifically for the type but uh, in one of the documents i have found the exact history how it came about and uh, unsurprisingly it was during one of the tests uh, the performance trials conducted in the 1944 when they were comparing the hellcat and the corsair the corsair was uh, uh, as you may remember corsair had a very struggling development process uh, unlike the, the Hellcat, and uh, the performance figures that were coming for the Corsair were slightly off, so they have decided to switch the propeller from the Hellcat to the Corsair, and the unit uh, that they have re-implemented into the Corsair ended up in the, uh, in the mass production, slightly improving the top speed and the climb rate, so it was uh, overall it was uh, favored by the Navy uh, at that point. So going back to the sounds, sorry, I love talking about sounds. Does it have the whistle of death, whistling death, or is it gonna, is it gonna have it? Well, yeah, it'll, it'll definitely have it. Nice. If, if you watch the the air show variant, you should be able to hear it actually. That's awesome. That's gonna be great. That's gonna be a great experience to hear that uh, you know roaring around, especially in the Marianas. Um, and I know we're expecting Eagle Dynamics to release a World War II version of the Marianas map. Are you working with them at all on the release of the Corsair with that? Is that going to be connected at all, or are you guys doing that completely independently? Well, it's more on on the Eagle Dynamics uh, side uh, to to develop. Like we we're merely developing the module. We're certainly coordinating with them on some fields uh, for the benefit of the of, of the community. But there is like there are certain things that that we still want to keep uh, under the uh, under the tarp. Uh, covered uh, be be before we can uh, uh, we can speak, especially since this is a coordination with the Eagle Dynamics. And one of those things being, we've seen you guys release some teasers of um, some of the assets that you're developing as well. Um, what's the plan on the release of these assets, and like, what's the scope that you guys are looking for? The assets will be included with the F4U along with the aircraft carrier, so the users won't have to buy an asset pack separately when we release the module and course the mission our missions that we're creating will be will include those objects that's awesome and so like how extensive i saw um some of the japanese tanks and um anti-aircraft guns um are we going to see any ai japanese aircraft or uh, what's the plan we for that have an a6 uh, we have a zero that i've been working on personally that i would like to turn into an ai asset as soon as we finish the course there I'm not quite sure how soon we can get it out. That would be really cool, especially to have a natural uh, foe of the uh, of the Corsair flying around as well. I'm excited to see all of that, especially with the World War II version of the Marianas map. 
um, to give a really nice period correct feel to uh, um, you know the Pacific Theater. Are your missions going to be based on that as well? Well, we have uh, we have come in contact with uh, one of the developers of the campaign developers for the DCS, the Reflected. Uh, he's going to develop for us uh, missions, not only the training ones, but also some single missions and the mini campaign. Uh, and I'm certainly convinced that the historical aspects will be taken into account. Um, again, this is a bit of my field in when it comes to the research. Uh, so depending how uh, how the World War II Marianas will end up, we'll be able to recreate some of the uh, combat, some of the events that happened in the 1944 when the Marianas were a main focus point for the U.S. Uh, Navy. So let's let's talk about the uh, the Essex. That thing is looking super sexy, if I do say so myself. The, the Essex is definitely a, a first for I think DCS, uh, given the fact that it has so many weapons. Uh, it has a bridle system for the catapults uh, and the, a lot of <laughs> arrestor wires, so you have a chance to catch the wire and not miss. Okay, and that actually brings up a really good point. So you watch footage uh, from World War II uh, of, you know, carrier operations, and inevitably, you know, you do a Google search, and you find a, a gazillion uh, videos of airplanes overshooting all the wires and crashing into either a barrier or the airplanes on the other edge of the deck. Um, are you guys going to have a barrier, or are we going to go careening off to everybody who's parked on the deck? <laughs> Uh, the, the barriers are modeled. However, we have to. Work, we're going to be working with Eagle Dynamics to try to get it implemented. And along those lines, are these? Is the Essex going to have any of the features of the supercarrier? Are we going to have any am animated deck crew members? Are we going to have a paddles or anything like that? At least for paddles, but we're not positive about the deck crew just yet. Uh, doing the deck crew is definitely going to take some time to do with all the animations. And of course, if we were to do a super carrier type Essex, uh, we would definitely need Ed support in doing that. One of the challenges for the deck crew itself would be the animations. So unlike the super carrier where the deck crew is guiding aircraft around uh, with their little, their little lights or doing a signal with their arms and legs, the deck crew for an Essex would literally have to push airplanes around and of course there's different size aircraft that would be on the deck and so we would have to create animations for each and every single aircraft that would be available at that time and for the paddles animation what I'm thinking about doing is using the animations uh, code and system that controls the the optical landing system for the carriers I'll use that same code and animation for the paddles instead and hopefully that works out but i haven't gotten to that part yet but we will definitely be testing it oh that's yeah okay that makes a lot of sense uh, the logic at least uh um works the same there um and with the essex how many parking spots are you guys going to include with it because you know obviously again you look at pictures and footage and you see you know, dozens of airplanes on the on the deck. Are we going to be able to launch a obscene number of airplanes from a deck, like in a big strike? Uh, well, the way the way the AI system that currently works, I don't think it'll, it'll allow it to, like what you would see in the, the movies during World War II. But we're currently working on the taxiing routes and the parking spots, and we're trying to keep it where the middle is open, so the users can still land safely and take off while there's people parked on either side of the, the port side or the starboard side. Uh, users will also be able to go down into the hangar as well as the AI. Yeah, I was going to ask, is there going to be a, a hangar and also an elevator to go down? That's also in the middle, isn't it? Oh, there's three elevators. There's uh, the one on the port, one in the bow, and one on the stern. Okay. What carrier? I thought there were some carriers that had some elevators like in the middle of the carrier, or was I just dreaming? Directly in the middle? I... I have no idea. Maybe that was like a Japanese carrier or something. Don't mind me. Uh, you mean centered on the deck, right? Not at the edges? Yeah, correct. That would be correct. That would be the Japanese. Okay. I must have been watching Pearl Harbor and saw that, and I was like, oh, that's cool. But you're doing the wrong side. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But maybe, maybe one day in the future there will be a red World War II aircraft from the Pacific Theater. I can only wish. 
Oh, believe me, I dream of having an Akagi in the DCS. Oh boy, you're just you're you're shooting for the stars, aren't you? Um, and that actually brings up a good point, though, just because obviously the Corsair wasn't only operated by the U.S. Navy and the U.S. Marine Corps, um, but obviously saw a pretty large um, foreign export um, during and after the war. Um, what other liveries are you planning uh, with the launch of the Corsair? Well, since we're, we're at the beginning, since we're only releasing the, the one, the Dash 1D, we're still going to include some liveries that you would, you would find on the Dash 1A or a Dash, even Dash 4 or the AU1, as well as Canada, New Zealand, uh, England, who else, anybody else? Uh, a few from the soccer wars. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, pretty infamous as well. Any, um, I know our friends, our Kiwi friends down in New Zealand are wondering if they're going to see any RNZAF uh, liveries. Absolutely. Oh, most definitely. Excellent. Okay, that'll that'll make them happy. I have I have a guy lined up that he, he's he's crazy about it. He he definitely wants to do them first. So we'll get we'll get some authentic ones coming. Six. We have some questions from the community, and one of them was saying, "What additional air assets are being planned for the Essex? If we can talk about that with torpedo bombers, scout bombers, or is it just going to be the Essex and the F four that we're talking about here on on an early release?" Just the F4 for now. Okay. And then also another question from another user is, are we going to have a barricade to use in the, on the Essex? We'll be working with Eagle Dynamics to create to create a barrier. It's, def, it's definitely modeled right now. But to get it to work, we'll, we're going to be working with it to get that working. But it may not be available during early access. I hope it is because that's where my first landing is going to be. <laughs> Well, that's pretty ambitious because mine's going to be probably either into the fan tail or over the over the side when I try to go around and forget about all the torque that engine creates. Wasn't there some? Wasn't there some old games like old old nineteen ninety games that had a Corsair and you had to land on the aircraft carrier? I always landed short. I think that might have been the Combat Flight Simulator too. I believe. Okay. I I I had a copy of one. I can't recall on the top of my uh, head if 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 it also had the Corsair at least flyable Corsair, not the AI. But uh, I think that was the one. It's about twenty five, thirty years ago now that I'm talking about. I'm also really curious about the the weapons you guys are including because I've seen a few screenshots and it looks like you guys are. Uh, you know, obviously the one D had the the hard points for rockets and whatnot. What sort of um, External weapons are we going to see coming with the Corsair? Well, starting with the uh, standard M2 Brownings that everyone is a big fan of, uh, the aircraft is going to have uh, rockets, HVAR uh, rockets that would be. Uh, the bombs, most types of the bombs that uh, were available uh, during the given time, uh, we're actually also considering the British bombs at the uh, at a later date to, to get the Corsair uh, certain versatility. Uh, since we're hoping for a fair number of the skins, it would be it would only be natural to also include some ordnance that would be compatible with the British skins, uh, FAA skins that would be. And uh, the top of the crown would be here the the bat bomb that would uh, the radar guided uh, free floating so to speak the the bomb that's uh, that's definitely going to be a uh, something special in the TCS. Yeah, can we can we talk about that real quick? So, what exactly is that? Yeah. <laughs> and I honestly thought this was some modern thing. Uh, so can you please talk about that? It's going to be included in the video for the screenshots. Yeah, I've never never seen that thing before, but I'm super curious in it. Oh, th the actual thing was called at a time a special weapon, Mark 9. Uh, it's been a low-angle flight, uh, self-controlled airborne uh, bomb. You can basically, uh, if, if you want to imagine this thing, and I'm not merely seeing for the picture perspective, but for operation, it's a glider that's wrapped around the 1,000-pound bomb uh, with the radar and the gyroscope stabilizing unit for the correction for the flight. Uh, this thing to simplify the explanation is basically looking for the light largest ob object its radar can find and just trying to glide there so this is like a first smart weapon i guess you would say well it's pretty 
impressive if you consider that it was developed during the World War II. And it's been uh, actually put into operational service with, uh, I believe, some 3,000 units uh, produced. And what were its primary targets uh, against ships? Well, it could be used against the ships, and it was uh, used in that way on board of PBOIs. And again, speaking here from the memory, I think it was also uh, employed in Burma uh, against the bridges. That's pretty awesome. I mean, I've never seen this before, so I honestly, like like I said, I thought it was like a modern smart weapon you guys were working on. Um, So this thing actually saw service. That's what makes it so special. And secret. I only carry one of these. I'm, I'm assuming. Well, one is enough for a for a ship. That is, unless we're speaking about the battleship. But uh, generally speaking, a thousand pound bomb is a pretty significant uh, explosive. Yeah, I'm assuming this goes on the center line. Yes. Okay. And okay, so uh, is it only radar guided? Were there any? Uh, was there any man in the loop control and? How, what sort of range did this thing have? Because obviously it has small little wings and a and a stabilizer in the rear, so it, obviously it's a little bit more of a standoff weapon. So you know, what sort of control did the pilot have over it when after he released it, if any? And then how much range did it have? Well, depending on the altitude of the release and uh, various factors, starting from the weather, the dropping speed, the theoretical, at least I do not know the practical. Uh, would be around 17 nautical miles. Uh, as a glider, it had a pretty decent gliding capabilities. Uh, no, the pilot would not have means to control it. Once it's released, it's uh, homing on the target, and uh, you better fly and run away from the explosion. So don't drop this next to a friendly air- aircraft carrier is what you're trying to tell me. And definitely don't drop it on the uh, takeoff deck. <laughs> <laughs> words to live by right there um yeah i only ask about the man in the loop um question just because i know the germans had some very early um radio like guided uh bombs that they could release from heinkels so i wasn't sure if this was anything similar to that no no this was a bit different it actually uh most of the time would be employed by the means of two aircraft you would have a larger aircraft this with a search radar uh, something like a pby and it would use its much larger radar with the radome to locate the target where the plane would head to the target and the radar transmitter uh, in the weapon would be directed towards the, the, the selected target and furthermore the target data from the radar in the in the bomb uh, would be displayed on a separate indicator the the so-called bat scope the bat scope is that something that batman would use or that's exactly an association that's i had in mind it's the actual nomenclature in the manuals <laughs> I, I, I'm going. I'm going down the screenshots you guys awesome. sent, and um, I'm actually blown away by the Essex here. Uh, but I do want to talk about the my favorite picture is actually the cockpit at night. So we talk about the yeah artist artistry that you did or the painting. I, I mean, how did you create this? This is amazing. The UV work is what I was talking about. Uh, thank you. It it's created using multiple layers of textures actually. To get that look when only one light is on or two lights are on or all of the lights are on it's, it's it really is a masterpiece and i'm kind of proud of it <laughs> no you should be proud of it because it looks freaking amazing out of all the pictures i think this is my favorite and it's not even of the airplane it's inside the airplane yeah i i'm really excited to be doing some uh low light angle sorties in this thing just so i could um use that now if i'm if i remember correctly that effect in the cockpit, those you know, the the dials themselves were painted with a uh, almost a radioactive paint, I think, and they react to UV light. Correct? That is correct. They, they had a phosphorus paint that contained radium, and it only it would only be it would only glow when the light would be uh, would shine on it. it. It's not a glow in a dark type paint. But it reacted to the UV lamps in in the cockpit. Not just UV lamps, it would react to any type of low, low blue, purple light that you would shine on it. Oh, interesting. Okay. I wasn't sure if you could go tanning while you were in the cockpit as well, if you, you put the little goggles on. The, the light bulbs were actually halogen, and you'd have to, hold, you'd have to hold the switch on the control panel for a few seconds for the light to start up. But if you switch it to the clear filter, it's actually just a 
like I said earlier, just a white halogen bulb. And is that startup period uh, modeled in the uh, in your course here? At, the, at this very moment, it's just on and off for, for testing purposes, but we will be implementing it for early access. Well, that's awesome. And like Tricker said, going through the screenshots there, the uh, the, the texture work is absolutely phenomenal, and, and which is no surprise. Um, you know, kind of switching gears a little bit, you know, the MiG-21 is one of uh, Tricker and my favorite modules that you guys have put out, um, and mm -hmm. the texture work in it is absolutely phenomenal. Um, it's also now quite a few years old, so what are your plans with it uh, going forward and and uh, you know what sort of the development phases are you in with it well I've I've been actually gearing uh, up for this for this uh, revamp so to speak of the the mig 21 uh, for the first half of this year uh, mainly focusing on the uh, new documents the things that we had back in the 2014 uh, for the release of the aircraft, we have nearly doubled our library um, with the variety of the documents and uh, collecting basically the new pictures. The I think this is the most important part actually, the visually, uh, from, from the uh, user perspective, the cockpit. Uh, we have uh, we we've done a fair comparison of the cockpit currently we have and the one that uh, we could generate using the photogrammetry, if not the better sources, uh, and uh, well, it just shows that our cockpit has aged. Uh, the module has been in use for those well, it's eight years now almost. So the starting point will be the graphics, as this will dictate all the other changes uh, eventually. Uh, the changes in the geometry and further retexturing will also dictate the repositioning of the gun sight, the repositioning of the SPORWR. And uh, for example, the change of the position of the guys, uh, gun sight will, of course, affect, uh, will require the complete realignment of the. Uh, and the recalculation of it for for the weapons employment. It's a lot of stuff coming, and just what was Sport was talking about is the MiG twenty one is one of my favorite modules besides the F five. The F five is my favorite, but uh, I love the MiG twenty one. And uh, my favorite thing is being in the MiG or the F five and getting hit by two side one or two R sixties at the same time. You know, MiG twenty one firing two missiles at the same time, right to the face. That's my favorite way to die well the missiles are definitely an interesting thing with the mirage coming it uh, came to my attention that the mig-21 in, in iraq use i believe and the, more recently in the romanian use uh, is uh, running the magic missiles so at this point i'm basically preparing the materials the documents uh, and pictures so that we may possibly implement in the future the magic missiles for the MiG to extend those capabilities. Since I know there are crazy people trying to use the MiG-21s uh, in the more modern environment and hunting the people flying the F-16s and F-18s. I think you just you just drove like half the community wild with that statement. Yes. But I was going to ask, how big is your hard drive with all these documents? Because it sounds like you have a ton of documents. Well... I have three hard drives, but I think you should ask the Rudel how much space he has for all this artwork. Oh, no. fair, fair, fair point. I, I have a stack of, what's, I'm looking at it right now, six hard drives in a, in a RAID right now. So about 30, at the 30 terabyte RAID system, and I'm only using maybe 17 terabytes right now of, of artwork. <laughs> no wonder why you have so many fans in the background. You get so much, so much hard drive space. <laughs> Need to cool it off? It's not to mention the nitrogen farm he has in the backyard to uh, <laughs> supply the cooling. You just have to think of the amount of hamsters running in his basement. <laughs> well, I got them. I have hamsters, rats, mice. I got it all. I got a whole zoo here. Well, off topic, how, what, what's your favorite document to go back and read? Do you have like a favorite document you like to bring up and read all the time or since you love documents so much well i love researching them that's for sure uh i find it fairly interesting since uh, my education never came close to the math or physics so uh, reading things that are specifically written for the engineers and the technicians it's a more interesting intellectual challenge for myself i don't have a specific favorite document 
but I definitely prefer reading on the on the, uh, on the radars and the weapons, you know, the things that go eventually boom. So is it true that the MiG-21 is powered by vodka? You know, I heard rumors that the, the Russians would put vodka actually in the alcohol tank for the radar systems. They didn't have alcohol. So if someone buys the MiG-21, does it include a free sample of vodka from yeah. Magnitude? Well, if we... If, if we ever make a physical copy, uh, that's a thing to consider. I'm only, I'm only kidding. <laughs> please, please drink responsibly, kids. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and actually, it, it did make me think about it with you guys redoing um, the geometry of the cockpit and all the textures in there. Um, is that going to also help improve the optimization of it? Um, I do notice that it is... In its current form, I mean, heck, it's eight years old and it's running fantastic, but it is one of the more taxing modules uh, to fly sometimes on my computer. I'd, I'd like, to, yeah, it, the new model and texture would, I think, would help with the frames, with the FPS. So that, and and I mean, I, I, I do want to pivot maybe to um, with a module that's eight years old, because if I remember correctly, the MiG-21 was the first third-party module for DCS, correct? That is correct. Um, I mean, eight years on, what is the product support like, and what are what are the challenges going forward on maintaining it with each new iteration of DCS? That would be, definitely be more of a question for the programmers. Uh, from the art side, it's, it's fairly simple, but it, it's time-consuming. We're, I'm trying to work on other modules. Uh, when when Eagle Dynamics introduced uh, physical-based rendering, it was right in the middle when I was working on the Christian Eagle 2. So there, when the Christian Eagle 2 was being developed, I created the texture specifically for that rendering engine. With the MiG-21, I, I had to kind of band-aid the textures so they would look okay in the system. The, the cockpit is not 100% PBR ready for well, I still think it looks fantastic. It's, it's like I said, it's one of my favorite modules to fly. I love flying it in VR. Um, I tell you what, it feels like you're literally operating a, uh, a steam-powered airplane. Um, you know, something like out of the Wizard of Oz, just with all the, the, the knobs and switches everywhere. So, um, for eight years old, it's My awesome. favorite part is landing. Oh, man. Because I always feel like I'm going to crash. I don't, I, I don't have I just, that problem, because I usually I get shot down before I have a chance to land. I mean, um, I just always feel like it's such like a high attitude coming in. You know, there's no slats, obviously, but it's just, I'm always like, feel like I'm like, man, am I going to crash or is this going to be a good landing? Because you can't really see over the, you know, the cockpit really. Well, as with the pilots, I had a pleasure to speak. They always describe it as it's more of a fall rather than a descent. So, yes, you would be correct in that. Oh, okay. Well, it's. I'm glad the real pilot said that. Gives me a little bit more reassurance that I suck. <laughs> I suppose it'll be good training for the uh, for the Corsair coming out. You know, with the that long nose in front of you that you can't see over either. So um, I think Magnitude Three is doing a great job of creating modules that you can't see out of the front of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm joking, of course, but I mean it's it's you guys have um, uh, impressed me with every every release so far with both the uh, the MiG-21 and the the Christian Eagle. Um, and I think the Corsair is going to be absolutely phenomenal. And uh, I know that there are some other things in the pipe uh, that we're not going to uh, touch on today, but I'm truly excited for what you guys have uh, you know, in the future. Uh, thank you so much. We're, uh, we're definitely happy that, that you guys are enjoying it and, and all the users that have bought it. We're definitely glad to enjoy it. No, I'm excited, and I appreciate all of you guys coming on to the podcast today and joining us. Do you have anything else you'd like to say before we sign off here? Well, my usual spiel when I'm doing other interviews. Uh, I definitely want to thank everyone for having us uh, for the interview. I want to thank all the users that have been supporting us over the years and have faith in us. Yeah, I, I would like to definitely join uh, Rudel here in this. Uh, thanking all the community. I hope they'll enjoy this interview and uh, we'll be happy to see you next time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I guess my last question for you guys is, uh, do you have a targeted uh, release time period for the Corsair? <laughs> I had to get that one in at the end. <laughs> well, we don't give out dates anymore, unfortunately, uh, for, for reasons. 
Do you give out years? Do you give out centuries? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm down with it. It's what I can say is we we are definitely at the end stage of development. Uh, we're working on the carrier, finishing up on on some of the small things, the Corsair. Really, all I have left is the damage modeling. And the Japanese tanks, we we're just about finished programming them. As you see in the screenshots I provided, they're def they're rolling around, they're shooting. Well, I can't wait to shoot back at them, and um, you guys definitely have me hyped for this. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to uh, talk to you guys or maybe some other people in your team uh, when you get you know really when the release is imminent, and um, you know we can help uh, bring the community into the much-anticipated next release for Magnitude 3. Most definitely. Yeah, we want to thank all of our users for submitting questions for Magnitude. Really appreciate it. Make sure you follow us on your favorite podcasting software, whether it be Apple, Google, whatever, all the good stuff, YouTube. Make sure you follow the YouTube channel as well. And uh, that just about does it for me, Trigger. Did you have anything else? No, that's it, man. Yeah, so am I. Well, we want to thank everybody for uh, joining us. Uh, Rudell and Hiramachi, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Uh, Trigger, thanks for co-hosting with me, and uh, we will catch everybody on the next episode of the Air Combat Simulation Podcast. We love you. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Air Combat Sim. Don't forget to subscribe or tell a friend about it you have a question, idea for an episode, or a special guest you'd like us to invite, feel free to reach out on Facebook, Discord, or via email. Air Combat Sim was brought to you by BVR Productions.